This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Thanks to Brian Redmond for the last two hours. And congratulations to Alice Dowling from Cretiard, the winner of Ireland's Easiest Quiz this morning. It's a lovely bright spring morning and this weekend is that bittersweet occasion. Yes, the clocks go forward, meaning longer and brighter evenings, but also an hour less in bed tomorrow and Monday. This morning on the bottom line, as the debate about when locked down retail should be allowed reopen, we talked to a retailer on the front line who, with the exception of Christmas and St. Stephen's Day, has been open every day since the COVID crisis kicked off this time last year. What's it been like? What have been the biggest issues? And what can we learn for reopening businesses from the experiences of people who continued in retail throughout? It's been a huge few weeks for Ballykeith Distillery with the release of their first ever whiskey, the culmination of a dream that began over 25 years ago. We talked to the entrepreneur behind the business, Morgan Ging. With fraud and ever-present threat and payment redirection fraud in particular continuing to cost local businesses, we'll talk to Paul O'Brien from Bank of Ireland. And during the week, Kilkenny Local Enterprise Office held the county final of the Student Enterprise Award. We'll talk to the young entrepreneur behind the winning company to find out about her recipe for success. But first, before we came on air, I caught up with Samantha McCochran, business editor of the Sunday Independent, to get her perspective on some of the big business stories of the week. I started by putting it to her that as we come to the end of the third month of lockdown for many businesses, with the apparent plateauing of COVID numbers and clamour growing for reopening, or at very least a clear path forward for business, it's been a difficult and challenging week. It has, yeah. I think there's a kind of growing frustration among businesses about the lack of clarity about where where we're going with all this. You know, um, after Christmas, there was a, a lull in, in in calls for reopening, etc., because there was such a, a spike in numbers before Christmas, around Christmas time. That I think a lot of businesses were just happy enough to just have the lockdown and get out of this. Uh, you know, we thought we'd be out of it by now. And just from talking to some CEOs uh, during the week, I think the feeling is that it just seems to be stretching out. There's no roadmap. When there's no plan, there's no clarity on what goals we have to reach, what, what we should do to get out of it. So I think that's a frustration that you can really feel palpably just in the last few days. And the government making announcements, I think, on Tuesday. But we're not going to dwell too much on COVID any longer. There are other business stories. And I have to say, I mean, Intel just keeps growing and growing and it's looking very strong. A big announcement during the week. Yeah, so that was a very welcome bit of news. 1,600 new jobs when their construction in Kildare and their latest project is finished. They're already a massive employer, uh, nearly 5,000 people. And it's a real vote of confidence in Ireland. It's a kind of a very welcome bit of positive news. One of the things I suppose that it is slightly related to COVID is that Europe and Ireland, but, but, but a bit more countries around us are actually looking for their own access to chips. There's a shortage of chips worldwide. Intel maybe is looking to capitalise on the fact that, you know, Europe will be keen to get its own um, sources of, of chips and not have to depend maybe on the Far East, etc. So look, it is um, good news for us here. And uh, certainly they're good jobs, they're engineering, they're technical jobs. So, so a good vote of confidence for the country. 
Interesting there that you talk about, you know, the supply and they want the kind of locally accessible. That the whole thing is supply chains was kind of abstract before, but it is kind of coming into uh, into focus now with the whole COVID vaccine thing. I know we said we wouldn't discuss it, but it just shows the importance of having strategically located producers of stuff like uh, microchips that Intel specialise in. Yeah, like as you say, like most people just get their products in the shop or they they you know companies order in whatever they need and it arrives. They don't ask too many questions but it is a massively sophisticated system out there and different components can come from different parts of the world so it has become a very complex complex um whole world of logistics out there so like there is some people predicting that um after covid people you know not just uh, individuals but employers uh businesses out there, manufacturers, all types of companies will want things closer to home and like Brexit's shown that up. Um and another story has shown that up as well with the Suez Canal um this week has shown again put yeah. logistics and getting things into Ireland. Because at the moment uh, that uh, that huge mega tanker, it's uh, four hundred meters, it's called uh, Evergiven, it's owned by a company called Evergreen. I mean that actually will potentially have real problems for us as well because you know it looks like kind of an amusing story. There's a massive ship in the Suez Canal stuck there. It's kind of slightly amusing, but it's actually a real issue because things mightn't get into Ireland. Things mightn't get exported properly. There's loads of ships stuck behind it, a couple of dozen at least at this stage, cargo ships. So again, the whole idea of logistics suddenly has become a real thing for people and that one might actually have a knock-on effect in a few weeks as well. Yeah, it just uh, highlights the fragility because it did kind of come, uh, I think earlier in the week when it was shown us, oh, look at this this thing that weighs hundreds of thousands of tonnes was blown by a gust of wind and it's blocking the thing, ha, ha, ha. But we will actually start to see stuff not arriving in our shops. You know, people will be looking for deliveries and so on and you can point to that one ship in the Suez Canal, amazing really. Absolutely. I mean, I remember last year, just last say February, 12 months, and uh, speaking on radio about uh, COVID and maybe, you know, what it would mean for Christmas. And of course, things like the PS5 have, have never made it to most people's homes. Uh, a lot of people disappointed at Christmas. It's March now, and uh, we still haven't got that kind of supply back into the market. And, and part of the reason does seem to be microchips or chips silicon chips are not available and uh, again we're feeling the brunt of it slowly but surely in our in our shops yeah and a disruption can come from most unlikely sources it's it's not that long ago that the Icelandic uh, volcano uh, ground air travel uh, to a halt so it's ships this time that that looks like a walk in the park now (laughs) considering we've had pandemic Brexit and now a massive cargo ship stuck so we're having a run of it right yeah now a company that uh, is not having a good run of it that's actually running out of the country actually but they're they're gone out with a a bit of um, scandal hanging around them is Ulster Bank tell us about that sorry sorry story that came to a head during the week well, there was a huge shock factor in the fine that Ulster Bank uh, was given by the central bank last week, nearly 38 million, which is massive and mu- way more than people had expected. And that was because they had, according to the central bank, devised deliberate strategies to make sure that mortgage owners didn't really get the cheapest rate. And they actually did financial analysis, Ulster Bank, and said, actually, it's too, you know, it's too expensive for us to go on to this route of letting people go back on to tracker mortgages, we won't tell them unless they come asking for us. And I think the fact that it was such a deliberate thing was kind of shocking. The bank, central bank, took it very seriously. It's 
trying to send out a very strong message. But ultimately, it was almost 6,000 people who were affected. And some people, you know, effectively lost their homes. And, you know, about 43 people lost their properties because of overcharging. So a really serious thing. And and I know the central bank, uh, you know, people will question how, 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 how tough it is sometimes, but they were very, very, very unhappy. They actually nearly had to go to the High Court to get some documents from Ulster Bank. So it was being taken very seriously and more will come because Bank of Ireland and AIB are still going through this process and they are bigger banks than Ulster Bank and they're likely to have some massive fines coming their way as well. Yeah, and that's an interesting point. So th- it was a massive fine, I think the largest ever yet, 36 million, but there may be even bigger fines. We can't speculate really, I suppose, but th- th- it's yet to come to a conclusion in those larger banks again. Yeah, like I think AIB um, has put aside... Um, 70 million something like that for a potential fine we'll wait and see but look you know that, that I think the message or certainly the commentary around it is the fact that this may be big but uh, expect more big fines to come on the back of this investigation Yeah now uh, Ulster Bank leaving Ireland uh, the, the exact time frame not established but this is a huge dent to their uh, credibility and their legacy indeed just shows you what kind of a, a thumping a reputation can take if, if a, an issue is handled badly Yes, and like the central bank, we saw only a few weeks ago what happened with Davy, um, Davy stockbrokers. I mean, that was a four million fine, but the damage and fallout from that for Davy has been massive, and uh, there'll be more to come on that. I mean, at the end of the day, Davy's now been sold; it may become part of Bank of Ireland. They've been mentioned as a likely suitor. So, you know, like it is quite um, decisive action from the bank, from the central bank, and like all these brand ads. You hear them all the time. You heard Davy ads on, on the radio for years. You heard Ulster Bank ads. Like what, what? What good is it if behind the scenes you're not playing it straight? And that seems to be what's come out of that, those kind of investigations in the last couple of weeks. And of course, the central bank been very circumspect about whether they're going after individuals. But um, you would imagine that that's the logical next step because the the behaviour really was quite disgraceful, really. Well, I, that, I'm writing about that um, in tomorrow's paper because, you know, it's all very well having these big numbers and they are big numbers, but it is a corporate entity that's getting punished. There was clearly se- senior people involved in the decision making behind this. It was deliberate strategies, according to the bank, central bank. There, there's people, they will know certain people devised and agreed to those strategies. So, look, you'd have to think people would feel more satisfied in the long run if individuals were held to account. And that would surely uh, have an impact on behaviour more than a fine for a, a company. Yeah, very serious uh, story. But we're going to finish off, uh, Samantha. You've picked something uh, that's really, I suppose, uh, symbolic of the times. Life is like a roller coaster, I think, as Ronan Keating uh, sings. But one of Ireland's best-known brands, Tato, finally looks like their roller coaster is going on to a real dimension at last. Yeah, some good news. Um, Ray Coyle's a colourful businessman. He had this idea to do like a Tato theme park. I think a lot of people thought it was a kind of crazy idea. It's been a huge success. He's been trying to get a really big new roller coaster built for two and, over two and a half years now or so. Um, and it was turned down. Or Planola was against it. He finally got good news um, during the week there. So it's it's all go for this giant roller coaster. It's going to be made up of a suspended thrill coaster and a family boomerang. So they all sound very exciting. They're made by the people who make some of the, the Dutch crowd who make some of the big ones um, like Space Mountain. So it should be really exciting. And, you know, it looks like we might be getting as much travel for a while outside of Ireland. So I can guess there'll be a lot of people flocking to me for some uh, bit of entertainment uh, down in Tata Park. In the yeah, next. still. And, and the 
domestic tourism industry still kind of up in the air, but there is a feeling um, that people do will need a break during the summer. I, I 100% like there's no doubt about it um, I know I think anyone you'll talk to has booked something in Ireland with the hope that they'll get away uh, the four walls are getting a bit grim for a lot of people now who are working from home etc so look you know we can only hope but um, let the vaccine rollouts continue we'll get there hopefully in the end and tell me this Samantha to finish off would you actually risk the Teatro roller coaster yourself? No, I wouldn't. My children, yes, they would, and they will beg and plead, but hopefully they'll have another <laughs> qualified adult to take them on board. It won't be me. Okay, Samantha, thanks very much for joining us this morning. That was Samantha McCochran, business correspondent or business editor indeed with the Sunday Independent talking to me before we came on air. Coming up, we're going to be talking to Tommy Hickson of Hickson Supervalue in Tullow. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on Casey Lord. Do stay tuned. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. The heart of two counties. KCLR. KCLR indeed, it's 22 and a half minutes after 9 o'clock. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme Foreign About Business. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. Now, about this time last year, I spoke to our next guest who was just getting used to the whole COVID reality uh, in his retail business, which has remained open ever since. It's Tommy Hickson from Hickson Supervalue in Tullow. Good morning, Tommy. Morning, John. How are you? Not bad, thanks. It's been a hell of a year and hard to believe it's a year. In many ways, it's flown, but a year ago seems like a different world. Um, yeah, certainly so. Um, it has uh, been probably the most stressful year of my life in retail anyway, and most stressful uh, year in everybody's life. Uh, since you know in a long long time because of uh, what has happened and uh, who would have guessed at this time last year we'd be still talking about uh, COVID and uh, coronavirus a year later yeah and how's it been for you yeah and how's it been for you Tommy just talk us through it I suppose when it happened first um, you know we all thought it'd be over by the summer and this is going to be grand like Um, when when the lockdown happened um, it happened very quickly and the first thing, and if you remember the first lockdown, we had no masks and um, there was very little um, uh, protective measures that we knew, you know, we did, we, we kind of knew what we had to do, but uh, we were we were not wearing masks. And that We were looking at Italy on the television as well, weren't we? Yeah, we were. And I suppose the first thing we had to do was, we had to, uh, like, when I got out of bed in the morning, I had to manage my own fears. I had to say, right, you have to go into work, you have to lead your team. Um, and then you went in and you had to, you know, get the managers and the staff to... Uh, you know, work as best we could um, and manage their fears and say, right, uh, and we had three or four staff who, you know, when you actually sat down and spoke to them, their underlying health conditions were um, you know, severe enough that they had to make the decision that they couldn't work. So then we had, you know, you, you manage the customers and um, I don't mean manage because we had to manage how they felt and how they how they uh, worked and uh, around the shop and, and uh uh, there was a, a big education there for us all, um, and nobody knew, nobody had the definitive view at the time. It was very much a learning process from day one. So even when the HSE came in to do their first order with us, they were saying, right, what are you doing? Uh, we showed them everything that we were doing. They say, yeah, very happy. We've been that elsewhere, and we spotted this somewhere as that might work for you, and we said, yeah, like that. Um, so from fundamentally from our back door to our front door, it changed everything we did. Our online sales were 1.5% of our business. Uh, before the the lockdown, it went to twelve percent, and it's still hovering at ten. So people 
that's a huge extra cost in anybody's business because you're picking the order, you're delivering it, you're, you know, so you've extra costs, extra labour. And so be it. That's the way. We, we would have done a lot of free deliveries anyway. So they stayed there. Um, and a lot of our elderly customers um, emailed and phoned in their orders who, who wouldn't be tech savvy. Um, they So we had phone in orders to gather up and get that out. So it fundamentally changed, you know, our deliveries at the back door. Everybody's wearing masks. We had hand sanitizers everywhere. Uh, one of the big challenges in the first three weeks is actually getting hand sanitizer. And a bottle of hand sanitizer went from 25 euros to 125 euros. And gloves went from 6 euro a box to 38 euros a box uh, because they weren't there. Yeah, it, it's um, amazing to think back because those those memories come flooding back when you put it like that. We've forgotten about the shortage of PPE and the shortage of hand sanitizer yeah. and all that, and yeah. presumably protective screens and all that for your staff too, which are a reality yeah, and yeah, the actually, floor yeah. markers and where to queue and all. Floor ha- markers, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and that was and that was all. You, you you were starting from zero. You were literally starting from zero and ringing around and. Uh, uh, ringing around and saying where can we get these like you know and the screen savers we met them up we got perspex up in the local hardware store I think we were the uh, one of the first um, supervisors I have Joe Tool there in the centre in uh, in Tullow um, I went in there one day to get these the next thing I seen a screen and I said where'd you get those got them across the road in Doyle I said alright we're, we're on the ball of that and we went across and did the same um, and that helped it, it was about easing people's fears and getting people to um, you know uh, just just to feel that they were safe um, and there was a huge amount of work involved in that. And as we got, as we grew more into the, you know, I won't say grew more into, but as we got more confident, um, it, it did help. But it's still, it's day in, day out. Um, the third wave was probably, probably the, the the hardest in some respects. In that, we really realised that we had to double down. And I don't blame the government for opening up at Christmas because people were probably going to ignore any guidelines anyway. They wanted to meet their families at Christmas. They had enough. And uh, I'd say the government recognised that, that no matter what we say, it's going to be ignored. Mm. Um, there was a lot of controversy, uh, I think it was last week, about uh, the assistant medical officer saying people could, if they could just do a little bit more. Have you identified stuff that people are getting a bit lax on? Or, you know, yeah, what's I your thoughts on that? Yeah, in the first lockdown, everything shut down. So the food industry was... Uh, the, the only people open were the supermarkets and uh, convenience stores that could supply food. So all the restaurants and takeaways were shut. So we were literally feeding everybody. And that was a huge... Um, now, we were never going to... We're never going to run out of food in Ireland because we produce so much, okay? But if you want a certain sauce, you mightn't get the 340 per minute, but there's three other sizes available in it. It's not the end of the world. Like There's red sauce going to be available there. Big push on pasta, all right, at the time uh, because people stored up their... You know, put felt that they had to have loads of pasta at home and loads of um, cereals because they're going to run out. Like you know, they're not going out, and and it's proven. I say there's still pasta at home and pressed that hasn't been used. Yeah. Um, what about toilet so, paper, Tommy? There was a lot of. Uh, uh, did you have yeah, any riots? Was, no, no riots, and that was actually something that was a total misnomer. Most of the toilet paper is, is made in Ireland anyway. That came from Australia, to my belief, that there was a problem in Australia which had nothing got to do with Ireland at all. And it it was now as simple stuff like everybody that was working at working in their offices and going to school were without being rude doing their business during the day elsewhere. Now all of a sudden they were at home, so there was a bit of a push in Tyler Roll to get Tyler Roll, but it was very small. We we ran we didn't run out of Tyler Roll at all, like you know. And um, what about supply lines in general, um, Tommy? And of course, I, 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 
wasn't wanting to talk about Brexit, of course, but, you know, ha- supply lines in general, are, have they remained robust and has yeah, they, Brexit yeah, made any difference? Yeah, they have been robust and, and in fairness to Musgraves, who, who supply the supervision central group, um, would have very strong, that, that is their business, they're a logistics company by and large, that's what they do. So they had, they, they were able to dial things up and get things right. Uh, they sent all their staff home from their offices, they did everything to make the, their business safe. So what, I suppose what happened was, you take um, any company, you know, take super value, uh, we have probably a range of 10 different sausages. So we said, right, let's concentrate on three sausages, make them, and forget about the other seven at the moment. We don't need the other seven. We just need to make sure the sausages on the shelf. And there was a lot of that where we fine-tuned what we did. So we took, we, and the same with all the, the companies, we would have taken, uh, deliberately taken out maybe three or 400 lines of chill goods that we said, we don't need those, we just need to concentrate on the basics, and we'll introduce the, we'll bring the others back online as we get production. And that was the right decision to do, because as you know, the meat plants, some of the meat plants had to close lines, and they had to, they were affected by it. Um, so we, we just concentrated on key core lines. Probably and a good decision that. anyway, regardless of COVID. Is that something that you'll carry post-COVID? Um, no, well, we're back up to speed now, almost. There's some, uh, now, there, there are issues with Brexit. Um, there, I think um, pet food is a, is a bit of a problem at the moment. There's about 200 lines in pet food. Not in the Irish and in the own bank, because they're made in Ireland. Uh, but um, some chum and kitty can, and other, other lines are not available there at the moment. And that's, that's a, neat, a, bre- a Brexit issue. Some hardware lines, anything coming to England, if they don't have the proper paperwork done, there are supply issues with with Brexit. But nothing, nothing that's out of the ordinary. Nothing that hasn't been. We'd loads of time to prepare for Brexit, John. Yeah, we um, on the whole, you mentioned masks and the public and protection, and we were talking about queuing systems. I've seen videos um, over the months of largely in the states, but some in Ireland too, of people kind of almost getting into tussles about wearing masks and all that. How's it going for you? And how do you deal with somebody coming in not yeah. wanting to wear a mask and all that? Um, by and large, we we have been. It has been ninety nine point nine percent of customers want to wear masks. Uh, and they want other customers to wear masks. And they actually, I've seen customers challenge people and say, look, if we need, why aren't you wearing a mask? And some people genuinely have a reason they can't wear a mask. I suppose the approach is you're trying to, you ask people, if somebody hasn't got a mask, you ask people, you know, some people actually genuinely forgot the mask and you, you supply them with a mask and everything is okay. And if they say, no, I don't, I have an exemption or whatever, well, you know, okay, we're going to serve you this time. Can you wear a mask when you're in? You're not in the store for more than five or ten minutes. Can you wear a mask? And it's to protect you and protect other customers. And then you you have to make a decision, you know, on a case by case basis. Um, we had we had a couple of incidents where we had jokers in in the beginning, thought coronavirus was very funny, and uh, were actually coughing on some of our staff. And uh, um, we had to call the guards, and that some of them will be before the courts. Yeah, wow. Thought it was funny. Yeah, and, and that wasn't nice. Our staff got very upset over that. And understandable. Um, well, yeah. So, um, but look at by and large the mask issue. People want to wear the masks. They see it as, and even the evidence is coming forward. The flu season is um, is very much at a, at a low ebb this year because uh, you know because people wear masks and they're not mixing as much, and international travel has been avoided. So you know there there is evidence there that it's it's working and that has helped stop the spread. Like you know. okay, well look, Tommy, um, I, I'm sure I speak for the 99.9999% of our listeners who are, uh, you know, expressing admiration for the work that you you and your staff and people like you in thousands of shops throughout the country are doing. You're on the front line as well. So um, well done a year in and keep the faith, keep safe and 
keep going. Yeah, and and, and I, I suppose I, it's very important that I thank my management team, Trish and John and Brendan, uh, and all the lads, all the staff. They've worked so hard over the last year. Uh, they've been brilliant. Uh, our customers have been amazing. Um, there's there's no, you know, if we can't do something, they're saying, that's grand, we'll get to you. Um, and especially the first six weeks were just so difficult. Um, and then we got better and better at it. And look, it's part of what we do now. That's the reality. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be part of what we do for a good while to come. Yeah. Uh, well, so, Tommy, uh, um, best of luck to you and regards to everyone in Tullow. No bother. Thank you, John. Take Thank care. you. Take it easy. That's uh, Tommy Hickson of Hickson's Super Value in Tullow. Coming up after the break, we're going to be talking about how you can protect your small business from fraud. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants. Now offering a complete life and pensions advisory service to business. www.omf.ie you're very welcome back. You're listening to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Now, the many ever-evolving and ingenious ways that fraudsters are targeting people from the vulnerable individual to the everyday business is never far from the news. And it seems during COVID that fraudulent approaches might even be on the up. It's one business that isn't subject to lockdown. It's something we've covered before on the programme many times, but it's something that bears repeating. Joining me on the phone is Paul O'Brien from Bank of Ireland Group Security to discuss some of the ways of which you can be targeted and a few tips on avoiding being defrauded. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, John. Just tell us, they haven't gone away, you know. Uh, How prevalent are fraudulent approaches to people these days? Yeah, very much haven't gone away. Um, We did some research recently that would say that Pretty much one in three of Irish SMEs have been targeted by fraudsters in the last 12 months. And the tactics haven't really changed. Email is is by far the the biggest one that people will see coming at them. And phone calls are also quite big, I would imagine. And and texts too. Yeah, phone calls is, is... We were slightly surprised, John, at the research that said the phone calls. But when we stop to think about it, it's probably a lot of that is down to the fact that so many more people are working from home. So a lot of the scams and frauds that would have been out there, you know, for many years are are now targeting businesses just by virtue of the fact that more businesses are are sitting at home and more likely to answer a a landline phone call. And text as well, yeah. probably takes a little bit more on the personal customer side where somebody might be trying to get your online banking login details or, or things like that but but email again more so for businesses and probably two or three different varieties of that email it'll either be an email that looks like it's coming from a supplier that will say john we have a new bank account we need you to just update the details on your system or a variety of that you might be get an email uh, into a payroll side of the house that says, you know, that looks like it's coming from an employee and says, John, I've, I've changed bank account. Can you update the, my details on the payroll system? And then the other variety of it is something that looks like it's coming from somebody senior in the business. Um, you know, ideally the processors would like to look like a chief exec and they'd like to write to an accounts team and say, John, I have an urgent payment I need you to make. Uh, can I send on the details and will you sort that out for me? Yeah, now back in the day, it was kind of obvious you'd, you'd spot a lot of these because they'd be looking to transfer 10 million from their account to your account and all that sort of stuff. But the average amount been defrauded from SMEs is quite modest in the overall scheme of things, but still very damaging. 
to businesses and it, not the kind is, of loss yeah. you want to be getting. Yeah, and, and, and again, from the research, what we found out was it was somewhere around €4,000. I think that's obviously an average, but what's behind that is the fraudsters will tailor it to the kind of business they're dealing with. Uh, you know, so they know there's no point in, in asking the local plumber for £10 million, um, unless he's a very successful plumber. So they'll ask him for you know, €2,000 or €1,000. So they, they'll actually tailor it and they'll be quite specific in what they try and do. Ultimately, they'll obviously try and get away with as much as they can. But as you said, even those amounts, the, the three or 4,000 average that we see can have a huge impact on the business. Yeah, and, and that word tailoring there, that's quite worrying, really, because uh, my perception is that they used to be sending out like 10 million emails and, you know, one person had fall for it. But they're actually getting quite micro-targeting towards business. In some cases, yeah. Now, I wouldn't like people to get too worried that you know, they're, they're been very specifically targeted. So some of it will start off quite general. Um, and then as people, as and when somebody might react, it might get tailored a little bit more. So, for example, there might be 10,000 emails might go out. 9,950 people might just delete it and ignore it. But then if somebody reacts, so go back to the example where they try and impersonate some senior manager and they say, John, I need you to make an urgent payment. If John replies to that email, then they might go and have a look and see, okay, well, who, who have we got here and what kind of a business are we dealing with? Um, and then maybe try and specify what the payment is. Okay, Paul, well, give us some tips and advice about how to, uh, how to manage this risk and to minimise the risk of being defrauded. Sure. So, look, this is going to sound extremely simplistic, but it's really, really just about never, ever sending money just because you were asked to in an email. Always check in person or with a quick phone call with the person who sent that email or the person who looks like they sent the email. So, you know, in the good old days when we're all sitting in the same office, walk down the floor, shout across the room, say, you know, John, I got that email. I'm just going to sort that out. Just want to check that with you. Or if it seems like it's coming from a supplier, pick up the phone, make a quick call to the supplier who, and, you know, perfectly legitimately people may need to change bank account details, but just make that very quick call. Thanks, got your email. We'll just update the system here, but I just wanted to check it with you first, just to be sure. And, you know, again, as I said, it sounds very simplistic, but that very, very simple point of never send money somewhere just because you're asked in an email, pick up the phone, make a quick call, it can save you a world of trouble. Yeah, and just to confirm that, because after the last time I covered that issue, somebody said that they had done just that and prevented a fraud. Um, just give us another tip or two, if you would, Paul. So, I suppose people sometimes get a bit hung up on, you know, what will the email look like or, you know, will there be spelling mistakes or will there be brands? I'd actually say don't worry too much about that. You know, if spelling mistakes were the only thing that we're saving us, it's very easy for somebody to fix that. And even, you know, with a brand, it's very easy to go onto somebody's website and just copy and paste a logo or a brand. So honestly, and, and I know, it, again, John, it sounds very simplistic, but it, it really, really is back to that very simple thing of don't do anything just because you're asked in writing, pick up the phone, walk down the corridor, talk to somebody and just check that, that what you've got is legitimate. Yeah, so that's the general principle. Well, look, Paul, that's very good advice uh, and thank you very much for that. The general advice is be vigilant and check before you send money somewhere on the basis of an email or a text. Absolutely, that's it, John.
And if and if you do that, as I said, it's it's a very simple thing to do up front, but it'll save your world of trouble down the line. Okay, Paul, thanks very much. Thanks, John. Paul O'Brien there from Bank of Ireland giving us some very good advice and do remain a hundred percent vigilant. Now, during the week, Casey Lawrence Brian Redmond was the host for the online finals of the Kilkenny Local Enterprise uh, Office Student Enterprise Award, and that's a program which encourages students to create, design, and market their own business with the ultimate prize, the title of Senior County Winner, and a place in the national final of the awards, very prestigious awards, which take place on May the 14th. Now, in this area, a massive five hundred and forty students from 13 schools in County Kilkenny took part with 80 students representing nine schools in the county final. The winner of the overall county title was Tara Maguire of Presentation Secondary School in Kilkenny. After her victory, I caught up with Tara and started by asking her to tell me about the business idea which won her the county title. So my business idea are hand-painted and varnished um, 100-year-old blue banger slates and they're taken from an abandoned roof in Kilkenny so I created it in mid-November 2020 so it was kind of by accident that we started the business so um, at the start of November I had no idea for my mini company and one day my father brought home some blue banger slates that he'd been given from a man in work and they'd been taken off a broken roof in Kilkenny and he brought them home to me and at the time our front door was being painted so I asked him could I paint and varnish a slate so I painted a snowman on it then because it was near Christmas and they actually turned out lovely so that's when I decided that that's what I do as my mini company. Yeah and you turned in a a fine bit of profit if I'm not mistaken as well. Tell us about that and uh, about the whole pricing uh, yeah, strategy. So we didn't have to pay for the slates because they were only being taken off the roof like there was nothing else to do with them so I didn't have to pay for the slates so all I was really paying for was the paint and the varnish and then anything else like advertising so printing the posters and things so I ended up making a good bit of profit because it cost me 85 cents roughly to produce one slate so and I was selling them then for a small for four euro, a medium for eight euro, and then the large for twelve or two for twenty. So mm. I made a good bit of profit then off them. But you didn't just pluck the figures out of the air. You did some market research. I understand. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I sent a survey around the school to the students and teachers, um, to a hundred in the school, and then they I asked was there anything they changed about the mini company idea and. They said just that the prices were very low because I had originally had them lower than that. And then a couple of the teachers spoke to me as well and said, like, not to undersell the product. So after market research, then I switched the prices and that's how I came up with them. And and did that make a huge uh, difference to your bottom line? Um, yeah, it did make a big difference. Yeah, so that's a good piece of advice to uh, pass on even to any business, really. Um, get your pricing right. Yeah. Yeah, now um you were complimented by the judges who who did make you the overall uh prize winner in this fantastic competition about your positive attitude. Um I was struck by it. I look at the, I looked at the video yourself. Tell us a bit about your attitude and what you learned from doing the uh project. Well, I just think I was very passionate about it. So I enjoyed doing it and I like it didn't feel like I was 
doing classwork or I had to do it for school. So I really enjoyed it and yeah, it kept me going anyway, especially during lockdown and everything like. Yeah, and what about? Uh, um, I was very struck where where you said in your video that you that was shown um, during the prize ceremony that you said anything is possible in business. Is that just a slogan, or do you really believe that? No, I do really believe that. I just think like once you get going, you just have to like when you put everything into it, like it will turn out the way you want it to. And, like I would have never thought this time last year that I'd be like making these slates and making money and just yeah I do think anything is possible So Covid brought a lot of challenges um, you've been out of school for the year I presume largely um, yeah. but but Covid did have some positives for you and you've learned a good bit about business by the sounds of things Yeah so I would have been playing sport like every night really during the week whereas then when they all got ter- like shut down then I had all the time during COVID to make the mini company and put a lot of effort into it so it was actually a good thing in the end the only thing was I couldn't really do any a lot of like face to face but it was alright yeah and tell us what's the future for Slates by Tara the competition is over you've scooped the top prize are you just going to put it in your CV now or are you going to keep at it no, I'm keeping at it now. So last week, I or the week before, I started making slates again, and I'm going to be making like anything, like garden signs or any signs for businesses and things. And I started, I created a Facebook page yesterday for slates by Tara because I had been selling them off my uncle's business, his Facebook page. So I set up my own one where I'll be taking orders now. So well done. So listen, tell the thousands of people listening to the bottom line this morning where they can find out about Slates by Tara. Maybe you might get a few sales. Yeah, so it's Slates by Tara is the name of it on Facebook. That's where you can see it. And just a private message there. And I can do any like personalised Slates or anything at all. And also, you can still order them through Anderson Brothers' um, Facebook page, which is my uncle's business. So that's where you can get in contact about them. That's Tara McGuire there, uh, County winner in the Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award, and well done to her, and do support her. She's a, an emerging entrepreneur. We're going to take a break, and we're going to talk after this to Morgan Ging about the fantastic achievement of Ballykeefe Distillery, who uh, announced the first release of their pot still Irish whiskey, uh, a really landmark event for the company. Don't go away. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock. It's The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business on KCLR. Now, I was delighted to uh, see that Ballykeefe Distillery have announced earlier this month the release of their first pot still Irish whiskey and it's a major uh, landmark for the company who've become very familiar over the last number of years largely for their gin joining me on the line is Morgan Ging who started Ballykeefe Distillery good morning Morgan good morning John and good morning to your listeners yeah well congratulations it's a, it's a big landmark isn't it and it comes at the end of quite a process it's, it's a huge landmark for, for the company and especially for myself and my family because it's been a big family effort to get to to this point. A lot of long days, hard work, and uh, d- 
difficult times with Brexit and COVID in the in the last year, but uh, we're here. We're, we've, the dream has come true for us. Um, we brought something to the market that is, is very special. We collaborated with um, Kilkenny Crystal, one of the oldest hand-cutting crystal companies in Ireland, and uh, the wine centre in Kilkenny to bring this unique product to, to the market. Uh, it's really a, a collector's dream is, is what we have brought out. We have no expense spared in doing it. For me, it's the first whiskey in Kilkenny for over 100 years. So there's people out there, their, their fathers and their grandfathers haven't tasted Kilkenny whiskey before. And this is the first time Kilkenny whiskey is, is on the market, which is something that's very special. Um, I, I tried to bring something to the market that would also appeal to collectors with the label itself, we have handwritten the bottle number, the cask number, uh, the ABV, and the alcohol units is all handwritten on the label. We got the bottle itself inscribed by Kikenny Crystal with Ballykeith down along one side of it, and uh, first release wrote on the bottle, which makes it more collectible. And then we got a beautiful handmade box to put it in. I know it's, it's about 450 euro to purchase one of these, but they are truly a collector's item, and the response we have had is just phenomenal. Because whiskey is a huge industry around the world now, isn't it? And collecting whiskey is a big thing. Collecting whiskey is, my eyes have been really opened by this. The collecting of, of whiskey is, is, is huge, and the trading of, of whiskies on the market is very big as well. Yeah. Uh, there are auction sites now that solely are devoted to trading whiskey. And there's people actually getting a living out of it. Yeah, uh, but you want to be a patient, a patient person to to get into um, whiskey distillery because uh, there are time limits. Tell us about how long it takes that liquid to be called whiskey. From the time you you put it into your first cask or, or barrel, you must remain there for three years, uh, one day before it can officially be called whiskey. Up to that, it's known as new make spirit. Um, so Ballykeith today is officially a whiskey distillery because we have officially whiskey, that ha- liquid that has matured as whiskey. Uh, after that, then you you sample it and see when it's suitable to go to the market. Yeah, and you built um, you built the distillery in 2016, and you you began producing uh, gin largely, I think, in 2017. But it's been a long running dream of yours, uh, Morgan. Really, it, it's not an yeah, overnight uh, thing. This whiskey business. No. No, no, 25, 26 years ago, even more now, um, I had a conversation with my father. We always had a contract for growing malt and barley for Minch Malt, and we had a conversation one time at the harvest. It was a poor harvest, and I was saying to him, what about adding value to the, the grain? And Dad was a progressive man at the time, and he said to me, if you can pull it off, I'm behind you. So I went off and I did a lot of research on time, how to make whiskey, and where to go for the licensings and that. But back then, Ireland was a different place, as you know, and uh, licenses were were more difficult to get. So there was three big players in the market at the time, and it was just impossible to get the license. Mm. Maybe it was a good thing, because Irish whiskey was in the doldrums back then. Um, So thanks to uh, Pernod Ricard, who bought out Jemison, the French company that owned Irish distillers now, uh, they pumped a lot of money into the brand Jemison and made Irish whiskey, you know, a, a, a go-to place now worldwide. And on that rising tide, like all boats are lifted. 
So Ballykeefe now has been lifted by that. Yeah. And there is now a want for Irish whiskey and premium Irish whiskey is where the biggest market is the biggest yeah, well, lift at the moment. Morgan, we've got about a, a minute left. How are you looking at the future? You know, when you started your business, COVID wasn't on any of our vocabularies. But briefly, you know, how are you looking forward to the future and what are you doing to promote the business? So we, we have a, uh, we use social media, we use PR and we also have taken the time now with COVID and the lockdown to engage with distributors around the world, which has worked very well for us. Our sustainability and our on-farm distillery has really hit the note with distributors in that, and we have currently signing contracts to put Ballykeith worldwide. So in one way, the lockdown has been difficult. We have no tours, and because, unfortunately, the restaurants and pubs are all closed, sales are down a little bit. But on the other side, we've used that time to build a brand and, and grow the company worldwide. And please God, when we all get vaccinated and the lockdown is lifted, uh, Ballykeith is poised to, to take off again. Absolutely, Morgan. Well, look, I'd love to chat to you longer, but unfortunately, uh, we're running out of time. Uh, that's Morgan Ging of Ballykeith Distillery. Look, best of luck to everyone out there, Morgan. Thank you, John. Thank you. Okay. Well, uh, unfortunately, as I said, that's all we've got time for this week on The Bottom Line. Thanks to all our guests this week, Samantha McCochran, Tommy Hickson, Paul O'Brien, Tara McGuire, and Morgan Ging of Ballykeefe, who you heard there. Remember, if you have any comments or ideas you'd like to get to us, you can email thebottomline at kclor96fm.com or if you'd like to listen back to the show, we put all editions of the show on podcasts. So all you need to do is uh, look for The Bottom Line on KCLor or any Apple Store, Google Play or Spotify Uh, platform and uh, you can also go to the fantastic KCLR app uh, which will give you lots of bottom line stuff but lots of stuff from all the programs on KCLR so that's all we've got time to for this week thanks to Deirdre Drummy who produced the show thank you for listening Uh, do keep the faith do hold firm and do stay safe and remember stay tuned to KCLR lots coming up over the today and indeed the next week until I'm back with you just after nine for The Bottom Line. Until then take care. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice www.omf.ie